job? Um, photographer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yes, it's a friend. Um, Ayomide. Interesting. Or oh, do you mean the, the designs? No, the photograph, the, your, the, your pictures, like the one on your blog, the one on your medium. Oh, um, oh, 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 those are, oh, those are different people at, at different times. Uh, maybe, 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 maybe it's you that knows how to pose. <laughs> <laughs> actually, um, it's more, it's more of a design intuition, actually. I don't execute design, but I have some level of design intuition, so I know how to work with creative. It's just that, that balance. Okay. All right, so good morning, everyone, or whatever time you're going to listen to this. Um, I'm really excited to have an amazing individual in another conversation about the venture matrix for the future of Africa. His name is Mimshak Obiaha, and he is the executive director for Ventures Platform Foundation. Um, we're discussing series three, the matrix, where we get to engage stakeholders who are investors. So we're trying to understand what is the investment opportunity of the venture matrix proposition. And joining this conversation is Mimshak, as I've said. So good morning, Mimshak. How are you doing? Hi, good morning. My pleasure to be here. All right. Awesome. So um, we're having what we call the forum on the venture. And how we do it is that it is bashed into 15-minute sections of four different conversations, right? We start off with a trivia, trying to establish um, a connect, trying to know who our guest is. Then we move into the, the, the discourse, where we try to evaluate the reality of the conversation and strengthen the core aspect of the conversation and how the conversation will be directed. Then we have a strategy session where we get to learn from your experience and um, also learn from your perspectives on the issue we'll be discussing. And then we have the forum, which is, you know, your insights into the one thing you think we need to do now as the undergraduate community. So first off, um, yes, what were the dysfunctions within the undergraduate community that influences uh, what you do today? Uh, influences what I do? Yes. Um, so I, I'm not particularly working within undergraduate community. So it's not more like it's not like I can this, a dysfunction within the undergraduate our uh, 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 um, community that's influencing my work. However, um, there are there are parts of the dysfunction within the educational system that affects my work. Let's put it that way. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I remember when we started in 2016. The vision was was grand, was big, was huge. We just we wanted to enable entrepreneurs on the continent, particularly those that leverage innovation and technology, to solve some of the most pressing problems or plug in infrastructural gaps or value chain gaps. Um, and we were quite ambitious with what we wanted to do. We we were also quite optimistic. We we believed that that we would have a plethora of of great innovative solutions and startups and entrepreneurs and innovators. Um, and I remember when we started, we were one of the things that we did was to go and ask other VCs before us, other accelerators, particularly before us. Before we started, no accelerator in Nigeria had done two cohorts. They had only done one batch and ended. One batch and ended. Okay. And 
And, and so it, was, it couldn't be a coincidence. And one of the things that my mentor and the founder of Ventures Platform usually says is you can't assume that every, you can't assume you're the smartest person in the world, right? Sure. You, you, like, and that's one, that's one problem that lots of founders have, the whole superiority complex. Like nobody else thought about this but me. That's not true, <laughs> chances are. So, so we wanted to go find out from them, why, why, why is this? Why do you do one batch and then you end your program? And one of the things that's, so a couple of them were quite evasive with the question, but a couple of people that, that responded were very direct. One, one of them who I wanted to mention his name said that in the whole continent, there are only about three fundable startups. And, and we're like, come on, even though today we still think that that's quite an ex over-exaggeration of the pessimism of the economy, of the ecosystem, but, but it's, it's quite true that there is a dearth in, in, the, in, in, quality, in getting quality founders. And, but, but we still went in anyway. We're quite optimistic. We're gonna do this batch model of investment through an accelerator. Um, the first batch, we barely were able to get seven companies into the batch, even though we had enough money to invest in 10. Yeah, so, so, so when you hear people say that there's, there's capital, but there isn't people to get it, it's quite true also. Um, so wow. we, couldn't get, we couldn't get 10 companies, which we wanted. So our first assumption was that we were new, we were, we, were, we were not known, we didn't have a name, we didn't have a brand. So maybe the great founders were not looking to apply to us for funding. So we, did, we really did well by the guys, the first set of guys. Um, we did well, we provided $20,000. And one of the things that we did was we actually invested in them in actual dollars. So um, typically what we, we found that before that investors would tell you, we'll give you dollars, but they'll give you Naira at CPN rates, which, which we know isn't really dollars, right? But, but we did everything by the book. Um, we, we, we made known our terms from the start. So from the call for application, you knew you were getting $20,000 for 10% equity. It was very direct, very straightforward. Everybody was getting the same thing. It was a blanket evaluation. Um, after the first batch, we did a sec we said, okay, now let's go and do a second batch. We are better prepped. People know us. We have great reputation. We should get a lot of applications. Truth is, we got twice the number of applications, 800 applications. We couldn't find six companies to invest in. We wanted to invest in 15. We only barely, we, 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 we had to compromise to find six. At this point, it became clear that there was a much bigger problem. Um, and, and, and what part of that problem was in pipeline development. There, was, there wasn't, so, so in the US, for example, you have institutions like MIT and Stanford and Harvard and Yale and Dartmouth and all the Ivy Leagues and all the other great institutions producing amazing, incredible founders that have the capacity to think deeply about problems, create solutions, prototype the solutions. Most of these universities have innovation labs within the school that literally act as incubators that, that support startups at the early stage. They, most of these schools have, have lecturers who are, who are professionals in themselves in real life scenarios, working with the Googles and the Microsofts and the Facebooks and the, all the technology businesses. So, so you have a wealth, you have people with the wealth of practical experience, mentoring and working with the next generation of, of minds. And we realized that that was the gap that we had in our own ecosystem because our universities were not necessarily churning out the type of talent that we required to go into entrepreneurship. And if wow. you really look, yeah, if you look at the, for example, the US markets, you will see quite a lot of innovation coming out of the universities. In fact, you see that the research 
capacity of the country is housed within universities. So, so you see um, um, the, all the different technology firms are setting up research labs inside universities. But what you see here is quite different, right? Most of the innovation are coming from much older people who mostly are returnees into the country or people who have worked in international companies before and now go out to start their own. So basically, mm. the gap in capacity has now led to much of the work that we have to do because we now have to begin to retrain and train people before we are even get them ready to be, to be invested in. Wow, that is so insightful. Um, you know, the first time I had a conversation, I really like how we went because I knew that, you know, you would always bring the other aspects that is not readily visible. So that was, that was really insightful to learn. So this, the second question, you know, we're going to, this is your first answer, you know, we're going to deal with it again when we come to the okay. discourse. But the second question is, um, so now that you had that dysfunction or you've been able to recognize that dysfunction, what is the reality shaping how you've been able to solve those problems amidst all of that? Okay, so, so when we found that there was a capacity gap, one of the things we did was we spun off Ventures Platform Foundation, which is the part that mm. I lead today. So, so, so the founder, uh, Colaino, now leads the fund um, as, as, the, as the managing partner. And then um, I lead the foundation um, as, as um, 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 the executive director. Now, on the foundation side of things, we're doing three main things. One of it is capacity building, which is which basically means a lot of training, um, a lot of mm -hmm. training workshops, boot camps. That's also now where we do our incubation and acceleration programs. Um, um, mm -hmm. We also do a lot of policy influencing and policy. Um, 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 advocacy and then we also try to bring all the various aspects of the ecosystem together to communicate to, to, to work together to 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 make sure that the ecosystem promote is promoted and, and advances now on the capacity building side of things um, we've been doing a lot of training so in every program we've embedded a training but now and and this is like an exclusive maybe I, sh I shouldn't say this but we're working on something that would come out soon I'll leave it there um, <laughs> but that should so I don't I don't I don't let the cut out of the bag no, that's hopefully, fine. before the year runs out, we'll be launching out a couple of new initiatives and products that is geared towards plugging that that gap, that 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 knowledge gap that the university is supposed to be able to plug with the educational system, and and, uh, and allow for more people to get the knowledge required to build out uh, vibrant companies. All right, awesome. Um, of course, yeah, we're talking private about that. Um, yeah, we, 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 have, we, have, we have a lot to talk about, right? So the third question to round off this trivia is now, one of the biggest consequences of this gap is its effect on our economic outlook. But at the, grass, at the, at the grassroots level, it is actually the, the, the gap between that gap and then its effect on the local economy. For example, mm. in, in simpler terms, because our university environment is not enabling for the creation of entrepreneurship talent, it is holding the local economy bound of its potential, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how do, we, how do you think, or how, how, what do you think is creating the gap within the gap that is affecting the, the, the economy. Okay, or, or let me make it simpler. What is that problem defining the gap 
between this existing dysfunction in our educational system and its impact on the local economy? Yeah, there are a bunch of, there are a bunch of stuff. So the first thing is that the, the impact on, once there's a problem with the educational system, it's gonna be an impact on the economy, right? It's, it's, it goes without saying, especially when you're running a knowledge-based economy. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if you're running an industrialized economy, then, then there might be little or no effect, so to speak, because, because industries typically don't need low-skilled, most of the workforce are low-skilled people. So you mostly need technical or vocational institutes to get people out. In fact, many manufacturing companies just create their own vocational institute because they just can't shout, right? Um, and 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 so so but but when you want to run a knowledge-based economy, because now we don't have the industrialized sector as 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 it were. Now, but we are trying to now leapfrog industrialization into the into the digitalization. Now, if you want to lead in the digital economy, then knowledge becomes key, right? And so once there's a fault in the educational system, it's going to obviously translate into the economy. Now, the question is, why is there a fault? Why is there a gap in the educational system? And I think it's a bunch of things. The first is an archaic curriculum. Um, the, if, 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 you, if you went to an Nigerian university, your lecturers were teaching you with the notes that they did, they used when they were in school. It doesn't, how, how in the world does that work? Like, first of all, the curriculum is archaic. Let's just, let, let's not overflow that. The second thing is the policy and the, the cycle, what it takes to change the curriculum from, from my study is about, it takes about three to four years to go through the process of curriculum review all the way for it to be passed at the, at the House of Assembly or the Senate before it's now passed into law, before they can now institute a change. Now, now in that four years, the curriculum that you are trying to change would have been obsolete. So, so it makes it very inefficient for you to even now upgrade and get better, if at all there was even the will to get better, right? The third thing is, the in, we call it the industry academia mismatch, right? Mm. Is that the academia is churning out people who the industry are not calling for. It's like a, it's like a producer producing a product that nobody wants, right? when it needs to be the reverse. So the reverse is that the industry has to dictate what the academia should be producing. Yeah. And at what level and at what standard. It's the same way with exportation. You cannot export any product that you produce. No, you have, mm. to, ex- you have to produce to the countries that you want to export it, their specification. They have a specification for, for the standards, for the equipment, for the things you need quality. to use, mm-hmm. for the quality. So you can't just say, and that's one of the reasons why they're saying with African countries that we are dumping grounds for, for fake products because we have no standards, right? Mm. We, we have no requirements. But it's the same thing. The industry, unfortunately, is a profit-making engine. So you yeah. can't just throw people at me, for example, as a business. I will let you know what my requirements and my expectations are, but then the academia has to provide that. Now, there is a mismatch between those two. And what's part is not just a mismatch in academia, it's almost like a cultural mismatch among almost most training institutes in the country. You keep wow. training people that can't get into paid employment because the employers are asking for something different. Wow. Woo. <laughs> okay, it's getting a little, uh, wow, this is really exciting. Wow, thank you so much for that. Right, so let's jump into the next level of conversation, right? Let's have the discourse. So with all of these things we've been able to identify, yes, there's a gap within the educational system, there's a gap, you know, and there's a cultural gap and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. 
and as I said, I'm really, I, I know your target audience are not the undergraduates, but we are, we, you know, so far it has been brilliant, uh, the things you've said, and, you know, it still applies across board. So mm -hmm. I want to refocus on that, on that particular, uh, uh, that particular um, target, right? How okay. do we now define the investment case? Okay. And I think you can answer this question, um, you know, both generally and then specifically, right? So how do we now define the investment case within these gaps? How do you define opportunity within these gaps? Okay, so, so there's obviously every gap is an opportunity. Every problem is a potential business, right? Um, and, 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 ex and an example of companies that have been, that have seen that gap, that are harnessing the, the dividends of that gap are Andela, for example. Um, um, and Andela is literally has built their own training system that, that, that builds developers just because a computer science bachelor's degree in Nigeria or even a master's doesn't, doesn't even help you do anything or even software engineering master's or, or bachelor's doesn't do anything for you. Um, so so they, they, they have seen that that is a viable business and a couple of startups that are typically Andela type startups that, that would train you and outsource you because, because clearly it's clear that the organizations can hire the people that are coming out fresh because they are not employable in Feladuro Toye's words. Um, but, but, but then if I can take them, it's raw material. If I can take them, retrain them, then I can outsource them, I can match them and I can get paid. So, so that's one opportunity, but, but we still need that to be done at scale. Even Andela is not doing it at scale. Like we need to train tens and tens and hundreds of millions of people for us to even begin to scratch the surface of that problem. So, but we need more of that. There's, there's, there's a clear opportunity there between the industry academia mismatch. I also think that there is a huge opportunity for, for innovation being housed within universities. But, mm, but this has I was looking be, for that. <laughs> this has to be, this can't be embedded in the educational system as it is. So, awesome. so there has mm. to be the willingness to create what I like to call a pseudo system awesome. that, is, that, that runs parallel, parallel without having to distort. But also awesome. this, this parallel system should not also be distorted by the mm -hmm. educational system. Educational system. Right? Something um, independent yes, of that existing structure. Yes, and I'll give an example of somebody who has been to do this effectively, churches. So if you go to campuses, you have what we call the campus ministries, right, of different churches, right? Now, now the campus, the, the campus ministries have been effectively able to, to become a, a pseudo system within the school system, not affected by the school system, not affecting the school system, but running in parallel. Now, now we need campus ministries for innovation. Wow. Wow, <laughs> interesting. Um, because you know, this is really exciting because that's the major proposition of the venture matrix. Um, even, even in fact, um, matrix um, series three basically talks about such a system as proposed. So, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, so how do we define the investment case? So, you've talked about where opportunity is, but how about for you investors? What makes sense, right, for the flow of capital into that environment if that pseudo system is created or built? So the truth uh, is that, <laughs> so investors are not development companies. And it's very, mm. you have to be very clearly. Mm. An investor will put money, as long as it's viable, 
we, we really, really, really many times don't care much. It's a viable opportunity we'll invest, right? Even if it's a dog, if it's a singing dog that we can scale and uh, can rake in billions, we would invest, right? Typically, that's like typical investor, even though every investor has an investment thesis. Ours is also very, very clear. We are kind of impact driven in that we want to invest in companies that are plugging infrastructural and value chain gaps and are democratizing things and, and making sure prosperity can flow on the continent. That's how we think about our investments. However, we, we can't invest in, we don't, because that would not be an investment. That would be more like, that would be more like, so it's like a social investment. We don't do social investments, so to speak. So, so another one thing that we are, we are crying for um, um, and advocating for within the ecosystem is that beyond the, the capit capitalistic investment, there is need for some developmental investment. And, and, mm. and because, because for example, a fund cannot invest in pipeline development. Now, what's pipeline development? Pipeline development is the grunt background work that we have to do to make sure people are investable on the long run. A fund can do that because a fund literally raised money from other people and they are looking for returns on their investments. So, so but, but, you, but that work needs to be done. So the question is who does that background work so that people rise up through the chain and are now ready to collect money, right? That work for me, and my, I think that that work needs to be done by development finance, right? So, so the country, for example, needs to earmark money to put into that, that, that infrastructure. Um, um, development organizations that care need to put money into that infrastructure. Um, technology, big technology businesses that care about deal flow pipeline, also care about customer base, need to put money into that system, right? So, so for me, this pseudo system it's, it's not an investment that you can reap a dividend from, as it were. It's an investment that is long-term, that is mind-shifting, that over time you begin to see how it structurally changes the economy. So for me, we need to, the packaging needs to be to convince development. Of, and I think I'm beginning to see some of those types of proposals. I think um, AFDB, is looking at mm. making those kind of academia industry mismatch investments. Um, um, mm. I think that because I was part of a pilot project in Abuja, the Abuja, the Abuja, um, the Africa University of Science and Technology. Um, um, we did a, an, a program, and now they want to do a whole hub within the school. So, so we're beginning to see that level of interest. We need to see more of that interest. But like I said, it's not going to be investment capital. It's going to be more development capital. Now, when that development capital is deployed and we now begin to see that process, because it's going to take a while, we, mm. maybe like maybe three to five years, we now begin to see that mind shift and then some, now, some great innovation starts coming out, then um, venture capital will be able to come in. Wow. Wow, that has, that has plugged a lot of um, thinking gaps now. So uh, last question for this session is, um, so yeah, let's so let's project, right? Um, you know, development investment comes in and all of that, right? There is okay, okay. Let me ask the question like this. So in the venture matrix for the future of Africa proposition publication series that I did, um, I I mostly advocated for the creation of an enabling environment for economic value creation. Okay. Right. And with all of the dysfunctions that you've highlighted and even the solutions you proposed, those are the things I actually 
suggested or proposed mm. in the matrix. I just had my own model, right? Okay. So how do you think investment can actually enable, I'm sorry, can actually facilitate the creation of an enabling environment for economic value creation in, in, in amidst all of this dysfunction and, you know, what, what do you mean by economic value creation? So creating things that directly impact the local economy, creating value. Um, in, your, in your terms, the startups, the yeah. businesses, you know, yeah. all of those, all of those um, um, models. No, it's, it's a very clear correlation. Like, I, 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 I can't remember where I was. I was talking to somebody recently and I told him, like, look, it's very simple. Innovation goes where, where capital goes. Mm. Like... The, the reason why there is a huge, which, and it's not big enough though, but there is a, a, a force about the Nigerian innovation ecosystem, it's just simply because there's, there's capital coming to Nigeria. And capital coming to Nigeria because, because, because a lot of foreign investors are seeing the, the potential of the, African, of the African market, which is hugely Nigerian, right? So, so once, once capital flows in, in this direction, you will see more and more innovations shaping up, coming up, yeah. going there. It's, and, and, and it also shows kind of like the, excuse me, the evolution of the Nigerian, of the Nigerian um, um, in, innovation ecosystem, right? We had, we had for me, we had the e-commerce boom, which, which was championed by the Jumias and the Congas and the Udalas. But, but in, that, in the e-commerce boom, there were like over 300, I might be exaggerating, maybe about 100 different e-commerce companies. I was in Lagos at that time. I was still in school. There were a bunch of stuff people doing. Jumia for sunglasses, Jumia for wine, Jumia for food, Jumia for any, anything you wanted to think about. So there was the e-commerce boom. E-commerce boom died, and now we have the fintech boom. Um, everybody's not doing some fintech. But, but it's clear why this happened. Like Jumia and Conga were able to raise huge amounts of capital. So everybody felt that that's what we should do, right? Of course, over time, the dust will settle. The people, the great minds will go up. The, the rot will, will settle down. Now we have the fintech boom. Everybody's doing some form of fintech company, whether it's payments, infrastructure, or is um, or is savings or insurance or whatever it is, right? All lots of people doing that right now, financial inclusion. Uh, but then we also seen how the, the 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 legends are rising, and then the dust is also going to settle. So we have the pay stacks, we have the flutter wave, we have the piggy vests, right, rising up up on that matrix that are providing capital or providing saving solutions or providing payment solutions and the likes. So my point is, wherever there's cap, wherever capital flows, you would see innovation flowing in that direction, right? One of the one of the sectors that had been under under exposed is the educational sector, and I yeah. think that we. And even even some and, and and fun about that, it's a very viable sector, like very very viable. Like mm. if I even explain to you that you know that 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 only about nine percent of the people that write jam will get into a university in Nigeria. And this has nothing to do with their failing; they don't have to fail. Is that the whole all the universities in Nigeria, universities, polytechnics, colleges of education combined? Their combined capacity can only take nine percent of the people that are writing jam. So you can understand why Nigeria is funding the UK's educational system, while we are funding Cyprus, we are funding Ukraine. Like if Nigeria stops, if Nigerians stop going to these countries for education, their system will crash because literally most of them have social security and their, their citizens don't pay tuition. So who pays? We do. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. So, so, so there's a, it's a viable market. It's big. It's, it's money. It's literally like anybody that can, this guy, what's his name? Benny Gold, Benny, Benny something. He's in Lagos. He created an online university about five years ago. Now he's making a killing and he's not even scratching the surface of the potential of that. The, 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 the National Open University has thousands and thousands of students. Like that is a gold mine and it's still not scratching the surface of the potential. So if anybody can put together something, it's gonna be huge. But like I said, once capital starts flowing in that direction, that's when everybody starts thinking. But of course, there's also the room for regulation. Regulation mm. also has a way of limiting innovation, right? True. And, and that's where policy conversations have to come in. For example, Nigeria do not, does not record or recognize virtual schools. They say for you to have a school, you must have infrastructure. So no matter what it is, you must have a physical infrastructure for you to get the license. Think about wow. it, right? So that's a limitation for someone who can, who can put together great curriculum, great content, great learning material and deploy it. You would not be able to get the Nigerian certification because you, there's a limitation on regulation. So it's, 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 it's tit for tat, right? But there's a huge opportunity there. Wow. Okay, so let's talk numbers. Let's talk numbers. Uh, we're jumping right into the strategy session. So you have, you know, we're going to ask the tough questions to get, you know, the practical strategy answers, right? So you talked okay. about, you know, let's talk numbers. So you said at the beginning uh, where you guys started, you had, um, you, you wanted to get 10, but you were not able to get six, even though you had about 800 people apply. Yeah, we, so the first time we had 400, 400 and something applications. We only got seven people instead of 10. Second time we got six instead of 15. Okay, so the proposition for the venture matrix is if we can integrate, if we can increase participation and inclusion of the undergraduate community into that number, right? Doesn't it give you a better chance at getting more numbers? Of course, quality is just a question, right? How do we make sure that those guys have actually entrepreneurship talent? We need to work, create an enabling environment, right? So with all of these factors that we've identified, and this new, this um, the last point you made about the flow of capital and invention being, you know, tit for tat, right? How can the undergraduate community and misses this function position ourselves for the flow of capital? Because it's it's a chicken and egg situation. If we speak to investors and investors say, oh, we're well, sorry, we don't think you have the talent for entrepreneurship that makes um, that makes whatever solution you you you, you provide viable, then how can we create the solutions that become viable? So. How do we how do we how do we do that? How do we how do we position ourselves to make sure that there's flow of capital for us to actually innovate and build viable solutions? So so I don't think that so now note, I was saying that when there's a flow of capital, innovation goes in that direction means that a lot more people are incentivized to innovate in an industry that has been perceived to have a lot of investment. Now that doesn't mean that you can feel a need and innovate anyway, right? You can feel a need and, and build a company anyway, right? And, and that doesn't also mean that, that doesn't, doesn't nullify the fact that even though there's a, there's a gap, that people are not building great companies out of universities. Yes. One of my, one of my colleagues in school um, was, we were in the same set in different departments. I was in architecture, he was in engineering. Um, actually, they, the two of them co-founders were in engineering. They built a company called, um, um, prep class. I don't know if you know prep class. No, but I think I've heard of it. So, so prep class is one is is, is an educational education is an edu startup 
um, um, and they basically, I don't remember, I don't know what they, if they pivoted from this now, but what they were doing the last time I checked was they were helping people match lesson teachers, basically. So you wow. find a lesson teacher on, but, but, but then in school, it was a big thing because all the first class students were doing private lessons mm. for, for, for children in secondary school. And, but, but there was no way to aggregate that, that demand and that supply. And but voila, they did it. Now, out of school, they were already running prep class. They, they were able to raise a lot of capital from both grants to, to venture capital to different opportunities and awards. So they did it, right? Um, that's one company. It's another company called Slate Cube. So there's a, there's, there is a, there's a grant program called the Ashoka Fellowship. I don't know yeah. if you've heard about it. But the Ashoka, Ashoka Fellowship basically targets university students. I think you have to be... the Oldest, you have to be, I think, mini, maximum of 22 or so, 23 or so, to be able to apply for the Ashoka Fellowship, right? And it comes with money, it comes with investment, comes with support and all of that. So, so there are opportunities for people. The problem, first of all, is that a lot of young people are using their smartphones to watch YouTube and watch people twerking and, 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 and Instagram, and they're not researching, they're not reading, they're not learning, right? Mm. I, I used to, when I was in university, I used to have these, this program um, this this Saturday program where I was I was training people for free and I and I, was, I, I used to ask a question I like how many of you want to be rich, and everybody in the class will raise up their hands and say they want to be rich. But I said okay if you want to be rich, how many of you have in the last three months have read one book on wealth creation? None. How many of you have read? How many of you want to be entrepreneurs? Want to be a businessman? How many of you have read one book on entrepreneurship? None. So. It's not going to work, right? Now we can sit down, fold our hands and cry and say that the system doesn't work. The educational system is failed. There's no capital flowing in this direction and nothing is going to happen. Or we can decide that, look, I'm going to build a company whether or not there is a, there's capital. I'm going mm. to learn whether or not my educational system works, right? Mm. And, and, and I'm going to build out something. And we have people, we have outliers who are doing this already, right? Mm. People who are learning, teaching. In fact, the whole... The whole developer ecosystem in Nigeria is proof that you can teach yourself something because mm. most developers I've met taught themselves. They are self-taught. Ain't yeah. no school, ain't no institution teaching shit. They went, sat down by themselves, went on YouTube, went on different channels and taught themselves how to code. And many mm. of them today are senior devs. They are making, raking in big money, big bucks, but they taught themselves. The same thing. I think that there needs to be some value orientation because the truth is this, once people start teaching themselves and start building. See, mm. it's a factor of demand and supply. If we do a program, ah, out of 10, eight of them came from, no, maybe three of them came from university this year. That's interesting. Next year, we don't have program. Five out of 10. Interesting. Next mm. year, seven out of 10. We we'll advise ourselves now, or go, Obo, go and open office in the university. Because clearly, <laughs> clearly that is where your supply is coming from. Do you get? It only makes sense. It will just only make sense. And I think that one of the, one of the successes of CC Hub was also the fact that they position at the middle of talent. So Yaba is huge because Yaba has Unilag and Yaba Tech, and then Lasso is not too far. So that's like a lot of talent. But if people, I was in Unilag for years, even Mister Balaba, I was in Unilag for four years. I did not know there was CC Hub. I did not even know there was a CC Hub. Do you understand? And look at me, look at CC Hub. If I only knew, maybe I would have even blown more than I've blown now. Even if though I'm even still trying to blow. The bomb, the bomb is not still catching. I'm still trying to blow it, right? Maybe I would have blown, you understand? 
But I didn't know about CC Hub until like two years after university. That's when I started knowing about the innovation ecosystem. And I was right at the center of it. So I know that there are two things. So let me, let me, let me put it very explicitly. There is, there is the role that we have to play. I will not lie to you, right? We have to, we have to play a more active role in academia, all of us all the venture capitalists, all the hub owners, all the innovation companies, all the technology-led companies, we have a role to play in universities. But on the other hand, the university, the students themselves have a bigger role to play because it's their own future, it's their own destiny, and they need to take a hold of it. Did I freeze or are you frozen? Who's frozen? Is it my internet or your internet? Hello. Okay, so you can hear me, but it's his internet. Okay, so I'll just wait for him to come back on then. Hello? Yes. All right, you're back. Yes, I don't know. I, I'm sorry about that. I think my Wi-Fi, I don't know. I don't know what happened. It's okay. Yeah, so please, you can, you can go on. Thank God we're streaming live on YouTube, so still on. Yeah, well, I was actually done before I found a figure like you were, you were gone, you were frozen. Okay, okay, okay. So let me- um, I, I ended up saying that while I, while I still, in, in clear terms, there is a role that the institutions need to play. So that, in fact, there are, there are, three, there are three main actors. The first actor, or not, not in any order, but one actor is us. VCs, hubs, technology businesses, all of us need to find a way to give back in a way that we build communities and we, we, do, we ensure technology and talent transfer for the universities and the tertiary institutions, one hand. The second hand are the people there. The people there need to borrow brain and start moving themselves, <laughs> whether or not we are coming. At mm. least if we are coming and you are going, we'll meet at the middle somewhere, right? True. So they need to start moving. So there needs to be a lot of awareness, inspiration. There needs to be a lot of knowledge. Like many universities are oblivious of the innovation ecosystem. They're oblivious of the entrepreneurship ecosystem. They are oblivious. They just want to go to school and get good grades and, and come out and get a job, even though we know that the jobs might not necessarily exist. And then the third is government. There's, there's a lot of po work, policy work that also needs to happen to ensure that, that all of these things can come together. So for me, these are the three buckets of actors I would like to put together. All right, awesome. Thank you so much. Now, th that response 
It's just an identification of the stakeholders, right? Yeah. So um, to define investment opportunity, right, within this undergraduate community, what are the factors that would define an enabling environment for value creation? So let's even say, okay, we listen to Mimshak, we're like, okay, awesome, everybody, let's just start creating, we'll learn how to create, we'll learn what to do. But the things to, um, what's still, what's, what still stands as a fact is that you cannot grow beyond your environment. So what are the factors that we need as to, to pay attention to for the creation of an enabling environment? Okay, so I shared, I shared something with you the other day. Um, let me see if I can pull it up. So we have, we, we, we developed a, a matrix, not a matrix now, but like, I think we call it the echo, the building blocks of, of an innovation ecosystem. Um, let me try and okay. pull up the documents. So because we did, we did a research in partnership with Google um, some years ago um, on the Nigerian entrepreneurship ecosystem. And in partnership with OCNC, which is an international consulting firm, we came up with, with what the building blocks of an ecosystem is, are. Um, and so I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just read them out to you. So the first, of course, is not actually the first, but one of them is financial capital. Financial capital is investments, right? And investments exactly. are a wide spectrum. So it's not just venture capital. It's also grants. It's also... Um, investments. Exactly. So we have, we have grant subsidies. We have individual investors. We have crowdfunding, angel investors, personal networks, venture capital, public funding, corporate investments, right? Securities wow. and market, debt financing. All of these are under capital. So there are different opportunities for capital. There are different things we can look at when we're thinking about how do you even raise capital for your business, right? The next is culture. And culture is very, very important because it's the attitude of the people towards, in, towards entrepreneurship in the first place. Now we say that Nigerians are very, very entrepreneurial. One of the things I keep hearing everywhere I go, that Nigerians are very entrepreneurial. I, I think that Nigerians have to be entrepreneurial. It's not like we are very entrepreneurial. If you, hunger go finish you. We are entrepreneurs <laughs> out, of, out of necessity, not necessarily out of desire. Desire. Right, mm. because you finish school, you have seen your elder brother finish school ten, seven years ago. You see the house, you you know that man, no job, no day. He finished with first class, see the house. So you have to start thinking about ah, go start say, I'll start selling shoe or start selling akara while I'm in school. But culture is very important, right? Mm. One of the things we're seeing with Nigeria is that while we are quite entrepreneurial, we're not very ambitious. Mm. And I know you probably in for the first time. We always think that Nigerians are very ambitious. We're ambitious. It's a lie. We're not ambitious anything. Like one of the. Very, <laughs> one of the great, one of the great feedbacks we got from uh, international investors was that Nigerians, you guys are not very ambitious, and we and we mm. fought it back. I'm like, no, 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 we're ambitious, because they, so they, they, we did an experiment, right? You, we, in one batch of our startup program, we had seven founders. Um, one of them was international. He was half. He was a Belgian, a Belgian founder, so from Belgium, building a company in, in Africa. Now, we did a four-month program. We gave everybody $20,000. Guess what? After the program, all the other companies were based in, in Lagos. Most of them decided to have a branch in Abuja because our program was in Abuja. But highest, they had two branches. Guess what? Guess where this guy was? I can't guess. <laughs> it was in like three, three countries. Whoa. The same money, the same time. And mm. the worst part was... He was in Belgium running his business from there. Stop. <laughs> wow. 
My point is this. When you ask a Nigerian, where do you see yourself in five years, Nigerian startup, most times they will tell you, oh, I'm going to expand to Kaduna, to Potakot, to Abuja. When you ask an American founder, where do you see yourself in five years? He says, I'm going to be in Africa and Asia and Europe. They didn't mm. think global. Mm. But we have thought, we have lied to ourselves that the, the Nigerian market is a big market. It's a lie. <laughs> True. How many people, how many markets? Mm. That's by the way. That's culture. <laughs> then there's skilled talent. And this has to do with now, you need to know something. If you're going to build something, you need to know something. This is the voracious need and desire for knowledge in a way mm. that you consume it and you're able to use it practically. So, they, so mm. we need to fix talent. Then there's regulation. I already talked about regulation, right? We need to ensure that there's an enabling environment for whatever industry that you want to work in to ensure that you are able to enter that industry and thrive. Then there is networks. Now, university, now if you're going to work within the campuses, you need to plug the campus to networks. Now, there are different networks. There are networks of investors. There are networks of hubs. There are networks of innovators. All of these things are network of mentors. All you know, of alumni. Alumni are alumni. Built stuff also. You need, to be, you need to plug to those networks. Then there's ICT infrastructure, very important. Broadband, look at those fighting with internet. Ordinary small call, we cannot. <laughs> Connectivity is huge. Power mm. supply, Nepal will take your lights. You will not be able to walk. Uh. Power is a problem. <laughs> now, amazingly, many universities in Nigeria have fixed these two problems. As many of them amazingly, have fiber, have... they have fiber, and they have 24 hour electricity, electricity. which is great, mm. which, is, which makes it a great place to start a company. The last one is market potential. This is mm. big. Now, this, comp this question is very, very dicey, right? Um, when I talk to, when people tell me that Nigeria is a big market, I tell them it's a lie. Nigeria is a big potential market. True, it's not I, I totally agree. An active market, and what, what do I mean? Mm. 200 million people with most of the people poor, it's not a market. Yes, sir. Population, right? <laughs> and and that's why the book by Afosa Ojoma, The Prosperity yeah, Paradox, is a yeah. very, very necessary book right now for entrepreneurs, especially in Africa. Because I remember I was I was in Germany and I was talking to a, 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 some, 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 some guy. I was like, ah, he's about to quit his job and he wants to go into entrepreneurship and he wants to build a business. I'm like, ah, why don't you look into Africa? Like, really, tell me about the African market. And I'm like, oh, so there's these guys. I have these guys, my friends. Uh, so I was talking about one of our startups, Thrive Agree. I'm like, ah, oh, they started about a year ago, and now they are doing revenues of about um, three, 400 million naira. Like, ah, in, oh, interesting. How much is that in dollars? Um, <laughs> about um, $1.5 million. Like, that's too small. I have a, and he told me about a friend that sells underwear. Pants, pints, not pants, pints. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and in, in a year, he's doing over $5 million. Oh, my God. So, so he told me that, look, your market, like, if that's what you're trying to tell me to come to Africa, it's, it's not worth it. Now, wow. now, it now made me realize that, that we have a pop population on market. But then, with the prosperity paradox, there is a market inside that population that needs to be catalyzed if the way we think about markets... And the way we think about our solution changes. Yes. So this is not the class for market creation. Otherwise, I'll go on and rant for that two hours on, on market creating innovation, how to create new markets, and the kind of solutions you're looking out for. 
but 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 these are the building blocks so again financial capital culture skills regulation networks infrastructure and market potential if you bring all of these things together you have a vibrant ecosystem awesome um you know we still have we still have i'd like us to take one question um under this segment before we, right. we round up with the forum right talk about um the problems that you know that create markets um let's let's quickly talk about that um, in the next 10 5 10 minutes so what like now honestly in the venture missions for the, uh, for the future of of africa proposition that is yeah. all i'm advocating for that the students the undergraduate environment should be responsible for 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 markets creating innovations that first directly impact our local economies for us to not create markets because you know um, we had we had Sean Burroughs on the on the on the forum, and there's something he said that was really powerful. He said, "What we don't know about the ecosystem, the economic value creation ecosystem of of uh, of Africa, is that it is built on the informal sector, right? And those guys have not been included in this our our ecosystem at all. So mm -hmm. I propose that you know the undergraduate community, because their universities are placed in these local communities, should innovate." Market creating innovations to create markets. So, how do you suppose <laughs> that smile though? How do you what what are the what are the what are the market creation innovation opportunities that you think can be best explored by the undergraduate community? And I want to know why you are smiling so sheepishly. Because you, I'm I'm not going to say this on this call so that nobody comes and holds me hostage. Anyhow, let's talk about it. So, the, first of all, the concept of market creation is very simple. It's that it states there's something called what we call the non-consumption or non-consumers. Now, non-consumers yeah. are people who on a very good day want to use the product, but they can't use it because of certain barriers. Now, there is the financial barrier, they can't afford it. Two, there is the knowledge barrier, they don't understand it. Three, there's the access barrier, they can't reach it, right? It doesn't mean that they don't want it. It doesn't mean that they don't need it. It doesn't mean that it won't help them, right? If it was structured in a different way. And I'll give you an example. Now, the book explained Mo Ibrahim and Celtel and how that, now in Nigeria, when we think about Telco, we think about it in Nigerian context. Once you leave this country, it's very different. You cannot buy a recharge card. Mm. You know, here, you just go out and just say, hey, Malam, recharge card. They don't have recharge card outside the country, outside Africa. Mm. They do subscription model. Mm. So you pay a subscription that gives you access to data and talk time. Now, when Mo Ibrahim was coming to Africa, he knew that subscription model no go work. No, mm. ain't nobody got that kind of money to pay for a month, mm. right? So the model they brought here is a different model to attack our markets mm. where you can pay as you go where you can buy small 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 things now another company that has figured this out effectively are the fmcgs fmcgs means fast yeah. mover consumer have you mm. noticed that in nigeria everything is in sachets yeah <laughs> toothpaste yeah. sachet body cream sachet um shampoo sachet even conflicts even kellogg's yeah came to sachet Conflict. Why? Yeah. The truth is that people that buy small, 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 small end up spending more money than the people that buy bulk. But the problem wow. is that the people that spend that have they don't have 
all the money they are paid daily wages mm. so so they can't afford to so when you are paid monthly you can do subscription when you are paid daily you are looking for daily sustenance yeah so, so you cannot go and buy a whole carton of milk no you will buy one 10 naira sachet milk 10 naira sachet milo do you understand that you use your diary <laughs> exactly exactly right now now we now this is the this is the this is the value we need to find a way to sachet innovation chicken wow wow you have you have a lot of quotables on this session <laughs> wow amazing amazing all right so let us let us round up the session um with with the forum right so what is that one thing um that you think the undergraduate I, I don't know if you still, if after all of these conversations, you still have those, um, what do I call it? You know, first time we talked, we had this, um, what would I call it? Um, opposite, is it, was not really opposite views. It was just, can you help me with the word, right? But I hope, I hope with this session right now, uh, it's, it's a little more aligned, a little more aligned. So I want, <laughs> okay. So um, what's the one thing that you think would help unlock our investment potential as the undergraduate community? If, if we were to focus on one thing that we we'll, we'll focus on, let's say for the next four months or one year, what is that one thing you think we need to do that would unlock that potential and make you know, the flow of capital a more, a, a, a more realistic conversation for that that community because with all of the things you've said right it has it, it is it is pointed to the fact that if we can fix that undergraduate community environment we can fix our economic value creation dysfunction so what is that one thing you think we need to focus on right now build partnerships mm. wow okay build 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 a bridge of partnership that allows all of us that, that know that we need to be played in that space, but don't have the time. And it's just somewhere oh. in our pipeline to come in now. So the question is, what's, what is what is the Ventures Platform's barrier from setting up universities? What is it? What is Google's barrier? What is Facebook's barrier? What mm. is Andela's barrier? What, what is the barrier of entry? If you can bridge that gap, we will all be there. Wow, okay, that is... I love that it was short, precise, but yes, still very powerful. Uh, Mimshak, um, we have a lot of talk. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, okay, we have a lot of talk um, because you know you've said the things that um, the whole venture matrix for the for the future of Africa is is proposing. So um, we'll have a lot of backdoor conversations, right? So thank you so much. We spent exactly one hour with you. If I we still have about uh, eight more minutes, you know, but I know you, you you've got a attend to other things so thank you so much for your yeah, time if anybody else if anybody that's in the audience has a question i can take one or two questions before the time elapses all right awesome 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 except, so except we don't do that uh we don't do that but of course since we have extra time um i will allow for it so if anyone has questions in the comments uh, you can just ask in the comment section um before we round up the session and of course you know as we normally do it show your excitement um show your appreciation share the learning points you've had so far so that Mimsha can know that you've been following and participating. Okay, I don't think we'll have questions. So the way the Ventures Metrics, um, the Venture Metrics Leaders Program is structured is that we learn so that we can do and then we ask questions later, right? So now yeah. that we've been able to connect with you, don't worry, um, we'll have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> 
very, very, very soon. So thank you so much, Minshak, for joining us. You've been, you've been amazing. Um, this has been such an impactful yeah. session. I couldn't have asked for better. Um, thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right, Minshak. So have a great day. Wait, wait. Someone said something. What do you think is the future of e-commerce in Nigeria? Okay. Okay. How is the journey been to where you are now? There are questions. This is just, oh. okay. 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 Please respond. Future of e-commerce. I, honestly, I, I don't know. Um, um, I, I, really, I really don't know. I'm not, I'm not very keen about e-commerce. Um, so I, I really don't have anything to say there. We, we particularly, also particularly don't invest in e-commerce. So I've had no reason to look into that industry. Um, how's my journey been to where I am now? It's been hard. It's been grind. It's been a lot of work and I'm still working. Um, but, but it's been a lot of self-learning. It's been a lot of re reaching out to people who, who I think can mentor me and, and being accountable to those people. There's a lot of reading um, and exposure. So, and, and being able to look for opportunities and take a hold of them personally. So that, that's been my journey so far. Um, okay, awesome. uh, many of the things I'm doing today, I had to do them at very low scale, teaching secondary school kids about entrepreneurship, reading books and stuff. So, yeah. What then is the motivation? I'm not sure what this means, though. Um, okay, uh, let me ask one question that I think um, you'll see aligns with, with this. Um, what do you think is the biggest investment case for Nigeria or Africa right now that you think would directly impact? And I don't, want to, I don't want to assume because I know you've talked about it. You know, you mentioned the educational efforts. I don't want to point. But let's talk to you as, okay, Mimshak, you have that money now. What is the biggest investment case or portfolio that you can, you know, almost not, you know, uh, what's the word? Not doubt. Or, of course, you know, it's, it's, still, it's still a little speculative. But what is that big investment case for Africa and Nigeria that, you know, is, is, is worth betting on? What will I invest in? Yes. Agriculture. Mm. Okay. People will Fine. always eat. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Africa has 60, over 60% of the world's arable farmland. If I, were, if I were a billionaire, I would build out large farms in different countries. Yeah. All right. Noted. Thank you so much. Awesome. Um, I don't think there are any more questions. Okay. Right. I don't think we have any more questions. So thank you so much, Mimshak. Um, this is much appreciated. As I said, um, I hope we get to have um, a lot more conversations because, you know, all of the things that you said were the things that um, I already had in mind and even outlined in the proposition. So I'm requesting openly, Mimshak, that you actually take time to read the publications when you have time to, as I said, the publication like is a qualitative is a qualitative recount, right, of a proposition. It is not the kind of um, data sets, analytics, and all of that kind of reports. Yes, I saw them. I yeah, awesome. And also, a book, a book, a book will be published um, on that proposition by the end of, of this month. So, as I said, we have a lot of conversations to have, and most of the things you said are things um, in the pipeline, being worked on by myself and my team. So, would we'll definitely, you know. We would even obviously have to partner up very soon. No problem. When you're ready, let me know. Awesome, awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Mimshak. Do have a great day. Hey, you too. Bye. Yeah, bye.
So we've come to the end of today's session on the forum, and we just had an amazing, insightful session with people who speak what I call the ego lang. That's what my friend calls it. People who speak the money, people who are explorers of opportunity. And um, we had Sean Burroughs, and then we had Mimshak Obioha. And um, that concludes the sessions on series three, The Matrix. Um, the next session we'll be talking about the creation of institutions, the rise of institutions, series four. And we'll be having amazing, amazing people on the forum to give us insights and engage us with practical, um, practical routes of action that we can take as the Nagari community to position ourselves to unlock the prosperous destiny of Africa. So have a great time.